0: Go ahead and open in prayer, and we'll be in Ephesians. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for your love, for your care for us. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you love us, even even though you know us, you love us, and that you care for us so much that you sent your Son to die for us and that you suffered as well. And we just thank you in your Son's precious name. Amen. Ephesians, chapter 5, starting at... Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Wherefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present to himself a glorious church, having not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That is the great mystery I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let us love, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we, last week we kind of switched these verses around a little bit, and we did the husbands first, <laughs> and then we're going to just talk very quickly, submission again, we're going to remember submission is to arrange ourselves under authority. Doesn't have anything to do with who's better or who's not better. It's just who God says is in charge. And this is something that we have trouble with in all aspects of our life. None of us like to submit. We talked about that two weeks ago, how hard submission is for people. And, and that goes us to our government, uh, people in the church, uh, wives to, to uh, husbands, children to their parents. <laughs> All the different relationships that we have that God says, submit. And even for us to submit to God himself. Isn't it hard for us to submit even to him? And you can't find a more perfect person to submit than God, and yet we have trouble oftentimes submitting to God. When God says, I want you to obey and do this, we oftentimes say, no, there's no way I'm doing that, or I can't do it, or I don't want to. So even submitting to God, we have trouble with. And then he says, I've got other submissions for you to do. And and we've talked about Jesus being submitted to Mary and Joseph. He was submitted to the priests in the temple. Every part of his life as he was in, he was submitted. He was God, and he was submitted. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? He's perfect. His parents aren't perfect. And he wasn't one of those kids who thought he was perfect. He was perfect and yet submitted. So we look at this verse saying, wives submit to your husbands. The reason I did the men first because if the men are doing what they're supposed to, loving their wives as Christ loved the church, there shouldn't be a hard part of submission there. Anytime somebody who is supposed to be submitted to comes around and says, you're supposed to submit to to them there's something wrong with the position anyway and this is something that's very important when I was a manager I didn't have to go around saying I'm the manager you're gonna do what I said I was the manager whether they wanted to accept it or not and if they didn't they would get fired okay I didn't have to go around saying I'm manager pay attention to me theoretically in the military in the, in the military they're not supposed to say I'm the sergeant or I'm the captain you have to listen to me Sometimes they have to, because they don't deserve the position they have necessarily, and people aren't being as submitted as they're supposed to be. But in reality, if somebody is a leader, somebody is in that position, they don't have to go around saying, this is, this is my title, pay attention. Over the years, I've seen many husbands who kind of throw that out. I'm the husband, you've got to pay attention. You've got to obey, and, that's, and you already know if that's happening, something's wrong. There's something wrong with that relationship, but that's happening because the husband's not loving in the right way. Let me we just go real quickly to this. We are members of one body. All of a sudden, Paul switches from husbands and wives to the church. We are members of one body, and he uses the picture of marriage to draw that in. How the husband and wife are supposed to be one. Which is why there shouldn't be this big battle in the first place. The husband should be doing what's good for his wife and the wife should be you know, able to submit to that and there should be no problem because they've become one. And we're told that Adam and Eve were, when they set up their first marriage, they were, they were to leave mother and father and become wife, a one flesh, right. which literally meant to be glued together glued together, how easy it is in our generation for a marriage to be torn apart, for divorce. Just because they say, usually you hear in our day, when we just don't love each other, or we're, we're totally incompatible. You know, I've never really found any two people that are completely compatible in the first place. And you probably wouldn't want to be with each other if you were totally compatible have you ever thought could you work with yourself? <laughs> you know, I thought about that a couple of times because I would look around saying, I'm doing so much, I need more of me. And then I got thinking, if it were more of me, I'd be bumping into myself because we'd all be doing, trying to do the same job. I couldn't work with myself. I <laughs> couldn't live with myself. We need those differences. When Eve was created, she was created as a helpmate. There were things that Adam needed and she was to complete that need. If she was exactly the same as Adam, she would have been redundant and not needed. If we have a relationship with a husband and wife, if they were exactly the same, it would be redundant and not needed. And God always manages to to put opposites together. If one person in a relationship likes to spend money, the other is usually tight tightwad. <laughs> you know, one person spontaneous <laughs> the other one has to plan every single event of their life and day <laughs> but you know we need each one of those parts of, of in that relationship because if both were a tightwad then they would never spend money never help somebody if they both spent money they probably wouldn't have a house and electric and a car and everything else that's needed We need each part of that glued together to fit perfectly. And God said that what God has joined together, let no man pull asunder. We've all either know somebody if you haven't been had a divorce yourself or, or we know somebody who's been divorced, and we see how that lives have been torn apart by divorces. They're not you know it's just like when he says a glue together if you if you're somebody who likes to work with wood and you glue two pieces of wood together with good wood glue you don't try to separate those two pieces of wood <laughs> because they don't separate at the joint of the wood they tear the wood apart and splinter the wood this is what happens when divorce divorces happen it tears the souls they're not split back the way they were and this is what God is saying for us as Christians we are to be joined with him And with one another and in churches it's hard we're not going to get along with every single person in the church (laughs) because somebody is going to be not like us like everybody (laughs) you know if we were all the same in the same church we'd have some problems because we wouldn't be doing the full ministry of God anyway I've heard preachers preach on if everybody was like you in the church what would get done in the church and i like the example but by the same token we need the differences in the church but it is kind of a good example if everybody gave the way you did would the church have electricity and pay its bills and be ministering or would it be overflowing with but you may be a giver but are you praying for the church we need people that are prayer warriors we all are called to pray but there are certain people that are gifted in prayer they pray and their, their prayers get answered and they spend all their time on the prayer. We need teachers. We need people who can evangelize. We need every aspect of the church with us. And we need to minister as the church. We all need one another. Even those people that drive you nuts being around them. We need, we need those people too. We need the quiet people who, who just serve behind the scenes. We need the the bombastic people who like to be the center of attention to, to draw toward God, as long as they're having God at some part of that attention draw. We need all of that because we're one body. Paul will go on in another, in another book and say, Are we all eyes? Are we all ears? Are we all mouths? And he goes, what about the toes? You need the toes. No. Have you ever injured your feet and injured a toe and found out how important your toe is? Our our big toe, which balances us. Amazingly, the little toe is the one that carries the weight. That's the one I broke when I broke my foot many, many years ago. You You figure that little toe is not very important, but when you go to step down on that broken little toe and you can't put your weight on your body, on that toe, you know it quickly. How many of us are just quietly serving God? You want to be very careful when we look around because a lot of people will say, well, I'm not like the pastor or the teacher, I'm not important to the church. You never know how important you are. You really don't. How many times has a prayer warrior disappeared? How many times has a person who cleans the church disappeared? All of a sudden you may not have known who that person was but all of a sudden you know that they're not around you know even though their name was never known nobody knew who they were all the weeds around our church we know we know loretta's not able to do it anymore and it's not her fault she got sick but we know now what's going on because we're struggling keeping them down Little things that are done in a church. Sometimes people don't know who's who's doing them. But those those people are going to get just as much or more reward for their service than the people who are standing up being seen by everybody. Because one thing you never know, if you're using your talents completely, you may be doing better than the person who looks like they're doing a lot of things but have five things they're not doing that God told them to do we need to be careful not to judge ourselves against other people this is true in, you see in businesses a lot of times too a lot of times you've got people who are the ones that are saying they're doing all the work and the ones that are getting the job done somebody quiet back in the corner that nobody knows who they are and, and if it was if they were gone nothing would get done you know, maybe others are even taking credit for their work God knows who, who each person is he knows who deserves credit who doesn't deserve credit He knows who he's working through. And we look at this whole thing that we are joined with Christ. The church is Christ's bride, his body. We all together form one individual for for Jesus. And not just here in Chloride. Golden Springs, Kingman, Fort Mojave, all the other churches in Arizona. All the other churches across the United States, all the other churches across this world form the body of Christ. Some of the body of Christ right now is suffering. You realize that in our day and age, there are more Christians killed each day and each month and each year than there have been in the past. People are dying for Christ today around the world. About twenty years ago it was said in Ethiopia the life expectancy of a Christian was six weeks. You got saved and you could expect to be dead in six weeks. The only funny thing is though this place where the Christianity was growing the most was quite amazing. There are still places today though that Christians are paying with their lives. We were lucky in America that we're not. I don't know how much longer we can have that privilege. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. Much of the world where where Christians are being persecuted, they wonder why we're not being persecuted. And in their mind, it tells tells them that we're not doing something for God. I don't know if I'd go quite that far. We, We were privileged to have a country that started as a Christian nation. But you know how far we've fallen is how far we've fallen as a Christian nation. Many people in America name the name of Christ and aren't Christians. Not as many as they used to be. I remember in the 60s, 70s, 80s, almost everybody called themselves a Christian. And if you ask them, well, you know, what does that mean, and they would almost always say, well, I'm an American. <laughs> I heard that more than once in the 70s and 80s. Don't hear it so much anymore now there's more people pulling away from being taking the name christian for those of you who get online and look at some of the comments when a christian comment gets put online and they get attacked by all these people that are nameless you know unknown people and they attack christians very strongly we're starting to see it more and more in the in the public world too if you talk about christ you can expect to have people getting attacking you we need to be ready for those attacks. They're coming to our country. it's going to be a time when to make a decision for Christ will be to lose your freedoms if not your life. we need to be ready to make that decision and we can't be making our that decision when the time comes. <laughs> you know, same thing when I that I tell young people when they're asking about you know, Well, how far can you go before you've committed a fornication? And, well, you need to make that decision before you're sitting there on the couch or in the backseat of the car with that individual. You need to know where God has defined that. And by my definition, stay as far away from it as you can. Because anywhere, if you're asking the question, how close can I come before I sin, you're asking the wrong question. How mad can I get to somebody before I cross the line to sin? Well, God tells us to love one another, so why are you worrying about how mad you can get? Now, uh, we need to stop thinking in terms of how close to the line can I get and be thinking about how far from the line am I going to stay? How much am I going to love people so that I don't get into this bitterness and anger and unforgiveness? If I'm loving people, I'm not gonna get there in the first place. We've had this thing up about forgiveness for a long time because I I think it's really important for us to really understand forgiveness. You know, for forgiveness, quit thinking about how that person harmed you. You're never going to forgive them if all you do is think about how bad they, how, how mean they were to you 25 years ago. Or even last week. But people laugh when we say this about 25 years ago because everybody knows there's people they're mad at. That was 10, 15 years ago, and they're still mad at them because they're remembering what they did, and they remember it frequently. And they go, "Well, I just can't forget." Well, quit bringing it up in your mind, and eventually you will effectively forget. How often do we talk about these people that have hurt us, trying to make them look bad in somebody else's eyes? Really bad if we know who they're talking about. But you know it's really sad when people talk about somebody you don't even know and they're telling you about how bad they are, trying to ruin their reputation to you and you don't even know who they are? And then they tell you, well, I've forgiven them. And you're trying to make them pay with people that don't even know them? Not enough of you know the person they're talking about. We need to learn forgiveness. When God forgives us, He did it by putting our sin under the blood of Jesus Christ. He says he removes it as far as the east is from the west. In Micah, he says he puts it in the deepest sea. You think God's trying to make a point there? If the almighty God, who does not forget anything, has places, he even tells us he puts it in forgetful, in a place of forgetfulness. By decree, He has a place where he puts our sin and says, I'm not going to remember it in this location. The God who knows everything and remembers everything has a place where he puts things and says, I'm not going to remember it because I put it over here. And we as humans say, well, I just can't forget. I can't forgive. Are we one with him or not? Are we going to live the way he wants us to live? Until we're ready to forgive people, we can't have fellowship with a lot of people. Then we hear people, well, I'll forgive them when they ask. How many times have you found somebody was mad at you and you didn't even know they were mad at you? They said you did or said something and you weren't even aware that you did or said it? They took it wrong, they added to it? I've heard people go, well, they did this and this is why they did it. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with this is what they did part. But as soon as you start telling me that you're a mind reader and you know why they did it, you've got a problem. The only one who could possibly tell us that he knows what we did and why is God. How many times have you have had somebody tell you the reason you did something and you didn't even remember doing it in the first place and you didn't have a reason for doing it and they've built up this big long reason about why you did what you did? I'm not saying they're lying, or that they're, but they are deceiving themselves. And I hear it frequently. This is what happened and this is why they did it. And my answer is going to be, how do you know that that's why they did it? And the answer will always come back, well, they don't, they just, that's what they think. You need to be very careful about putting a motive on people's actions. If you quit putting motive on people's actions, you're gonna to have to be mad at them a lot less. Because usually we're thinking, well, they're doing this because they lost their job or whatever, you know, and we put all these different reasons on it and then they're really mad at me and we put all these reasons on why they're mad at me and then, you know, and all they were having was a bad day that day and they just said something a little short. They they weren't even mad at us, they were having a bad day. And we took it as if they were mad at us and we put on all these reasons why they were mad at us and next thing we know we've got this great big... Monstrous hill in front of us, and we just can't stand seeing them because of how how mean and nasty they were to us on purpose. We need to be very careful about that. Learn to forgive. Learn to forgive quickly, even before they ask, because they may never ask. You know, we hear so many stories of people who are angry with their parents, and then their parents die, and they read some letter or something that talks about how their parents, you know you know, loved them and cared for them, and all they could think about is their parents hated them for whatever they they said on one day. And it's too late to be able to apologize and to try to mend their relationship. This happens a lot in our relationships. We need to learn to forgive. Hey, You don't even have to go to the person. You just say, God, I want to forgive, forget, and forget it. Go back into a relationship with them. Because even if they were mean and nasty to you on purpose and you forgive them, and you, you know, you're going to blow them away by being nice to them when they know that they don't deserve it. And if they didn't do it on purpose, they're not going to know that anything was ever wrong. But forgiveness. God loved us so much, he sent his son to forgive us while we were enemies. And for God, we were enemies. We were committing sins. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes shaking our fist at God saying, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do, and Jesus still died for our sins so that he could forgive us. And you know, we never would have asked for forgiveness if he didn't love us first. He says, we love him because he first loved us. You would not love God if it wasn't for his love. You wouldn't be able to approach God without his love. The holy, righteous, perfect God of the universe, if Jesus had not paid the debt, would not be approachable by us. This is what he's telling us. He loves us. (laughs) Loves us so much. We need to catch hold of how much he loves us to start with as Christians, to realize that he also loves the entire world the same way. We've talked about this. The price that Jesus paid for our salvation. He took the entire wrath and anger of God upon himself in physical punishment. Can you imagine the pain that caused the father to punish his own son that way? I've talked about how it hurt me to spank my kids because I didn't want to cause pain. Do you think God was any less when he put the pain on Jesus? This is something I've been thinking about the last probably two or three weeks. How much pain the Father went through when Jesus became sin. Have you ever thought about the Father suffered as well as Jesus? All the punishment that the Father had to put on Jesus, all the pain Then then the father had to turn his back on Jesus. When Jesus called, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father felt the same pain. Abandoning his son that he had been in fellowship with for all of eternity as well. The father went through pain to to be able to buy us back. Pain almost as severe as Jesus. Jesus took the physical pain as well. God had to inflict that pain. The love that the Father and the Son felt for us and the Holy Spirit is amazing. All so they could buy us. Make them one with Christ in the picture of their marriage. Do you realize that we have become the sons of God, the daughters of God, but we are also becoming the bride of Christ and we're going to be made one with Christ. Emergency, terrible emergency. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but do you understand how close we will be with God for all of eternity? We're his bride, we're the bride of Christ. And the picture of the marriage is a picture of the real marriage in heaven where we, the body of Christ, become one with Christ for eternity. Made very completely part of the royal family. So much so that we are his personal relationship just like Christ. Our position in heaven is going to be so great we don't even we don't even fathom how it will be It says that we're gonna rule over the angels in heaven. We're going to be right there with Christ on the throne, next to him, because we're his bride. We wanna think about all of how important this is. We don't really often think about how we are one with him. We are being made his family. His family for all of eternity that's remaining in the future. This is what He did when He came to the cross to die for us, to make us one with Him. We need to be getting out, sharing the gospel with others. We need to be making a decision that we're following God no matter what. How easy it is to say, I will follow God no matter what. How many times have you been faced with a a choice and a temptation and a sin and made the wrong choice? Every one of us, every one of us has. Sometimes they're significant wrong choices. Sometimes they're minor. But we've all had places where we've made bad choices that may cost into the future, betrayed the trust of people, Made bad choices. I've had lots of people in my past betray my trust. Try very hard not to think about it because if you do, you go back to this whole thing of, you know, having trouble forgiving. And as we said, you know, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you put them in the place to re- redo what they've done wrong. You could forgive somebody and say, "Well, you're not, you're not having access to my bank account after you took everything out of my bank account the first time." Okay. Uh, You you don't give them back the the next new card (laughs) and say, yeah, I've forgiven you. They need to prove that they're trustworthy at that point. You you don't take somebody who's stolen from you in a business and say, okay, here's the keys to the business and the cash drawer. Oh, by the way, here's a safe combination. You can have access to everything. do laughs at that, but it is true. It doesn't mean that just because they're forgiven, they're going to be trusted again. It may take a long time before that trust comes back. It means that we're not gonna hold them accountable and and try to punish them for what they've done in the past, but we may not trust them to go into the future. God's love for us, we are to submit to him. If we learn to submit to God, we're at the very first step of being able to submit to every other authority he puts in our place. And I challenge us that we learn to submit to God. When God shows us that we need to change, we change. And the great news is He gives us the power to change. And then just this last verse we're going to look at, kind of off to the side, is verse 33. Nevertheless, let everyone in you, particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. It's back to the relationship of, of people. And you know, for men, Loving is a hard thing to do. Men deal in a world of respect. You know, they go to work, they go, you know, if men get into a battle or a fight, it's usually because they have been disrespected. You know, somebody didn't do something to to make them feel as good or important as they think they should be. And, And men need that respect. The women in their lives need to know that their men need respect. The easiest thing for a woman to do is not respect her husband and, and that will tear down the husband really quick because he has enough trouble fighting and battling in the, real, in the world to get respect. It's one of the reasons men work so hard in their jobs a lot of times is try to be respected. And to come home and not receive respect is tough. Women, on the other hand, tend to want that love, the thing men have a hard time giving. You know, kind of funny is that men will usually try to respect their wives and the wives aren't wanting to respect them, you know, they want the love. The woman is busy loving her husband, <laughs> but doing things that don't bring, in, bring respect to him. And neither one are happy because they're not getting what they need. The woman is treat, treating him as a, as a child and trying to do everything for him, and all he's wanting to do is be respected as the husband. <laughs> the wife just wants to be loved and her husband's doing everything to respect her. They were saying she's the greatest wife in the world, great great housekeeper, mother, you know, all these other things. Really raising her up in front of people but not showing her what she wants, love. God understood this. And that's what he told, he told each, each group to do what is not natural to them. Husbands, love you, wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Very important thing to consider as you're looking in here. Because I've seen men tore apart because they don't get they don't feel they're getting respect at home. And wife, the wife loves him, you know she wants to have him around in many cases. But just doesn't give him the respect. And he doesn't feel he doesn't feel loved because he's not feeling like he's respected. And he'll go on and try to do more work. He'll try to do more things, trying to get that respect. Women want that love. And we, and we see this over and over. God put this battle at the curse. At the very beginning, this battle started. Eve was told that your desire is going to be for your husband. She's going to want to rule. She's going to want to consume the relationship. And God said, and he will have dominion and rule over you. The battle has been put there from the very beginning. They were created to help one another and because of the sin, they went into battle with one another. And we've been in battle ever since with each other and with everybody that we know. Rather than being helped by one another, we battle one another, trying to rule, trying to have dominion, instead of seeing that we're one. Especially when you're a husband and wife, that you're one. and need to be one. Neither one is more important in one sense, but both are needed. And it's important for us to show that love and respect. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to show love and respect. Lord, we thank you that you have forgiven us. You have taken our sins that we have committed and the punishment that we deserve so that we can have eternal life. Lord, for any that are listening to this message, that we ask that if they don't know you, that they will recognize that they're a sinner and... Confess that their sin, confess that they deserve punishment, and accept you as their Lord and Savior. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.